Good morning, good morning, men. You guys are looking good. You're sounding good. And uh, I am so grateful that you're here today. I want to give you some good news. We've been telling you for the last few weeks that uh, today was a special day because we'll be starting a, um, a, a, a new campus. In essence, the core group begins today meeting in the North Auditorium during this hour. And so I tell you that, first of all, to celebrate, we have about 180 people across the lobby already with Upstate Church Haywood. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that's worthy lifting some praise up to God. But uh, here's the good news. Some of you guys are gonna join them next week. And so that's super exciting. You may be like, what do you mean? Well, every time that we've launched a new campus, I've really encouraged you especially in the third service, but I'm gonna do it in all three downtown. And every campus pastor on every campus is encouraging their campus to do the same thing. I want you to pray about, is God leading me to connect with that core group over the next six weeks to become a part of the future campus that meets on the corner of Lawrence Road and Haywood Road, all right? And here's the thing, I know that's 22 minutes that direction, but there's people in this room who live near there. There's people in this room who are that, that campus will be closer than this campus. And it may be that God leads you uh, to do that. Maybe you live in Fountain Inn, but you're willing for a year to say, man, we're gonna be seed families and we're gonna be missionaries for Upstate Church and for the glory of God. And we're gonna go with Dallas and that core group and plant. 180's amazing start, because over the next six weeks, we're praying that 180 grows to about 250. We hope that on Easter Sunday, 250 folks go and begin worshiping at that location. That's gonna be an internal launch. It's not gonna be public. We're not gonna push it or promote it. Not even putting up an upstate church sign saying we're meeting every week immediately. It'll be all internal growth. Very much try to bring people, family and friends, connect with the core group until we launch publicly in the fall. And in the fall, we believe that core group's gonna develop and, and multiply to where it's gonna be an amazing launch, perhaps the largest launch we've ever had of a campus. And so be praying with me, but pray particularly, God, would you have me to join that core group? And hey, the best way to pray about that is to go over and experience it. Maybe during the next uh, five weeks, you'll say, hey, let's take a week. Let's schedule one of the weeks to go across the hall and worship with them. I think that'd be a blessing. Now you may say, well, man, you're pushing that hard. What if everybody goes? Well, that'd mean we have to reach a lot more people, amen? Uh, because uh, we obviously, but here's the thing. The truth of the matter is if, if, if 50 people or 100 people from this room right here would go with them, that'd be a huge answered prayer. So be praying about it what God would have you to do. The last four weeks, just to give you an idea of what God's doing in your church, it's the first time we have had weeks of over 3,000. So I don't want you to think we've never had over that. Over the last year, we've had several. But the last consecutive four Sundays, we've averaged 3,200 and we've had over 3,000 worship attendants in all those, and so that's every campus. God's doing some amazing things and so let's not hold back, let's not keep back, let's lean in and, and push forward. That's the whole idea of the message today. If you'll take your Bibles, turn in, turn on your Bibles to Acts chapter five. Acts chapter five. 
This is week six in our series on the book of Acts. And um, we have one more week before we go into a uh, Easter series. We're gonna spend four weeks on the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, but we end this part of Acts next Sunday. And then we'll dive back into the book of Acts after Easter. And uh, man, I don't know about you, but I love walking through any book of the Bible, but man, specifically Acts has been rich for us to kind of ask the question, what's the church supposed to look like? That really should be the question we immediately think of when we look at the book of Acts, is not to look back at something that was, but look back in many ways at something that should be, because the New Testament church is not dead. Look, we just sang a song, did we mean it? He's the same God. Y'all all right today? Yeah, he's the same God. He, he, he's not changed who he was. And so if there's, if there's a change in the atmosphere, if there's something about uh, a lack of movement of the Holy Spirit, if there's a lack of people being saved, if there's a lack of total surrender, it is not because God is not still God, or and it's not even that God doesn't want to move. Oftentimes we are holding back. If you remember the story of Ananias, Ananias uh, and Sapphira, we talked about it just a couple weeks ago. Uh, that whole story was about holding back. Ananias held back, literally the passage says he kept back some of the, the gifts that he was supposed to give, the proceeds of the land. Now this is not about money, nor was that message, but what we determined in that message is that Ananias really held back himself. It was much more than money, he held back himself. He was holding back. He wasn't all in. He wasn't completely sold out and surrendered to what God had called him and his wife, Sapphira, to be. So today, really, the challenge is to look at a contrast between Ananias and Peter. I want to draw a comparison, if you will, between Ananias, who kept back, and Peter, who leaned in. And I want you to ask yourself the question. I believe it'll be a Holy Spirit confrontation as we walk through this question. Ask yourself the question, am I more like Ananias or am I more like Peter? Am I keeping back myself? Am I keeping back my best or am I leaning in to what God is calling me to do and to be? That's really our question. Acts chapter five, begin reading in verse 12. You're gonna have to listen extra careful because I don't know if you can tell, my voice isn't normal today. All right, so really help. I'm gonna try my best not to talk like a redneck, all right? I'm gonna try to enunciate for you so people can go, what did, what did he say? What did he say? I don't know what he said, all right? So I'm gonna try my best. Acts chapter five, look at verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done. Say the word regularly with me, regularly. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them. That's weird. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, say those three words, more than ever, more than ever believers were added to the Lord. More than ever. You ever heard somebody say, well, yeah, sure, 3,000 people got saved on Pentecost, but that was just one day. They didn't read Acts 5, right? More than ever. 
More than ever. This isn't chapter 2 anymore. More than ever, believers are being added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets. This is some extraordinary stuff. Laid them on cots and mats that Peter, as he came by, maybe even just a shadow would fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And they were all healed. Now, I know back the last couple of weeks, we've talked about how the apostles were afraid. They were a bunch of chickens. The disciples ran for the hills. If you look at Mark 14, 50, they ran for their lives when Jesus was arrested. Let me say it like this. When the circumstances got difficult, the disciples chose to bail. The expectation of the disciples was, were, were influenced by the circumstances that surrounded them. That's super important. But now we see the apostles, the same men who were afraid, are now standing with a holy boldness that's very extraordinary. It's different. They were willing to boldly proclaim, and we're going to see, even in the midst of opposition, they were willing to boldly proclaim. Miracles were done. It says, among the people. Among the people. But here's what happens in verse 13. Some of them were afraid to join them. Some of them were reluctant. Some kept back. Some of them leaned back. Some of them were reluctant. Now, there's a couple of reasons why this could be. We don't know for sure. The scriptures don't elaborate on why. But it could have been that uh, they were present <laughs> when they saw what happens when people in the community don't obey God. What happened? They dropped dead. You remember? Ananias and Sapphira had disobeyed or at least been unfaithful. They had been fraudulent. They were hypocritical. And they were lying, even trying to act like they were something they were not. And the Holy Spirit's judgment on them was death. So maybe you're sitting back and you're seeing Ananias who you thought was a good guy. You're like, hey, this is a good Baptist, man. You know, Ananias and Sapphira, they taught me Sunday school coming up, you know? I mean, they're good people. They're dead. Okay, maybe this isn't the place for me. You know what I'm saying? So maybe that was part of it. But there's another possibility that maybe Peter and John were a little extreme for them. Maybe this was, you know, they, they grew up different different approach to things. You know, Jews weren't necessarily, you know, going in the streets confronting the religious leaders usually. And so Peter and John are handling things differently and they had to see it coming. It's almost like a train's coming down the tracks and you don't know when the collision's gonna happen, but it's happening. And that maybe they saw it and they're like, okay, this is, this is a party waiting to happen and I'm not invited, all right? I'm, I'm gonna bail because I don't wanna be here when Peter and the authorities collide. No matter the reason, no matter the motivation, the scripture's clear that not, even though they held him in high esteem, even though some of them perhaps were believing, they were holding back. They were keeping back themselves from a full commitment in the community of faith. And so we understand that's where we are contextually. And so with that, this was last week, the word we talked about that was very relevant was reluctance. You remember? We talked about how reluctance oftentimes 
is our holding back, our reluctance to go all in. And we've got to remember, we've got to always remember that there will be opposition to the gospel from now until the time that Jesus comes back again. If we're waiting for an easy circumstance, if we're waiting for a season or a culture that's not going to be a bent against God, it's not gonna happen. And so if you're one of those who's kind of standing on the outskirts wondering, man, maybe, maybe this is, you know, the truth of the matter is the culture is going to always push back. Opposition to the gospel is natural. Opposition to the gospel is natural. I'm gonna go this far. Your reluctance and my reluctance to follow unconditionally the call of God, my reluctance, that's natural. It's supernatural to obey God. It's a supernatural thing only by the power of the Holy Spirit that you and I can actually say yes to stand where Peter stands and to do what Peter is going to do. And so with that, look with me at verse 17. In Acts 5, 17, but the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in a public prison. And so we see very clearly religion's not the answer, right? Because these guys are being faithful to God and those who are most religious are throwing them in prison. And so we learn pretty quickly if we look at the book of Acts, that religion without Jesus gets ugly fast. And you may be in this room, you may be watching at home, and you may have this stereotypical idea of, of church, and you may be here with arms crossed. You may be here thinking, man, I've got, I know what this is. This is just a bunch of hypocrites. These folks are just religious, man. They're gonna judge me. They're gonna think they're, I'm, they're better than me. Let me just tell you, I don't know what church you've been to, but I've been to a bunch. I was born the son of a Southern Baptist pastor. I was Baptist before I was Christian, amen? How many of y'all? And so listen, a lot, a lot of you understand, look what religious means. Being religious does not make you a Christian. I don't care if you went to a Lutheran church, Episcopal church, Presbyterian, Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, I don't care. Look, just because you went to a Pentecostal church doesn't mean you got the Holy Spirit. Look, just because you went to a Baptist church doesn't mean you got the book. Just because you went to a Presbyterian church don't mean you're distinguished or that you're smarter than everybody else. Look, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Look, the fact of the matter is where we've been doesn't make us a different person. Our presence in a building doesn't change our identity. You can wish it did. You can hope that money you drop in a plate makes you a Christian, but it doesn't. Look, you can give your money all day long. You can come to small groups. You can come to church. You can raise your hands and worship. That doesn't mean you love Jesus. You could all the while be keeping back. You could be holding back. You could be leaning back, reluctant to go full force, to go all in with Jesus. And so that's what we're talking about. Religion without Jesus gets ugly fast. Just a bunch of self-righteous, prideful people filled with jealousy and division and hypocrisy. Verse 19, during the night, 
An angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of life. And so in the morning, we'll kind of just walk through the narrative of what happens. They, they come and they say, hey, where's the guys we threw in prison? They sent some people to get Peter and John out of prison. The guys come back and they say, hey, those guys you threw in prison, they're not in prison anymore. They're back in the temple and they're preaching again, verse 25. And so look, th those guys you said, don't go to the temple. They're back where you told them not to go. And they're saying what you told them not to say. Now, these are the religious elitists they're talking to. So the religious elitists said, don't do this and don't do it there. And that's exactly what they went back to do. So it begs the question, man, what would Peter advise us on today? I'm going to ask you like this. Four things. What advice would Peter give me and you on how we could make sure that we're not keeping back that we're not leaning back, but that we're leaning in and we're going all in with Jesus. What are some advice? Four things. First thing, these are all super simple, all right? First thing, trust God wherever you are. Trust God wherever you are. I'm gonna say it like this. Trust God in whatever circumstance you find yourself. No matter what circumstance you find yourself in, trust God. Philippians chapter four, perhaps the best example of this Man, we're bad about taking verses out of context. We like a, one thing, one verse says, and we put it on a plaque, and we hang it on our living room wall. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Say that with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's a fantastic verse. It's a wonderful reminder to us. Wayne, do you think that's true? Absolutely. But you better read the whole chapter. Because you know what? You know what Paul is saying in Philippians 4 to the church at Philippi? He said, man, there have been days I've been broke as a joke. There have been days I've been hungry. There have been days I couldn't pay my light bill. You may say, there was no electricity back then. I know. There, there have been days I didn't have money for clothes. There have been days where I, I, I absolutely was an outcast and, and all alone. But I have found no matter what circumstance I find myself in, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What is that? I can endure all circumstances through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't mean I can jump over a building in a single bound. It means that when I try and I hit the wall and fall on my face, that I can get back up in the name of Jesus and continue going. No matter what happens, no matter what circumstance comes my way. If it's death, discouragement, fear, frustration, pain, no matter what circumstance comes my way. Paul's saying, I can endure it all. I can get through every circumstance. And so Peter's advice to us, we would trust God. Trust God wherever you are. No matter what circumstance comes your way, give it to God. Stop allowing the circumstance to determine the expectation that you have for God. But allow the expectation, this is what Peter did, allow your expectation of what Christ is gonna do to overshadow, overwhelm, and overcome the circumstances that are around you. This is the difference between Ananias and Peter. Peter allowed his circumstances to define his expectation. 
So he depended more on the money than he did Jesus. He depended more on, on the reputation than he did honesty. And so we don't want to let the circumstance define our expectation. We've got to, by faith, believe that Jesus is going to be bigger than anything else we face, no matter what the circumstance is. Now, there's several things that come against us. I'd call them maybe uh, challenges in relationship to how we, we walk through this, this thing called faith in, in, the, in the area of trusting God no matter what our circumstances. I'm gonna just give them to you real quickly. They're location, audience, and expectation. Location, audience, and expectation. Where we are oftentimes determines how faithful we are. Think about it. Your mom ever say this? Your mom ever say, well, she wouldn't have said my name to you, but, but what if she said, Wayne, this is neither the time nor the place. She ever say that to you? It's neither the time nor the place for that. What was she saying? This is an inappropriate time to do whatever I was doing at the time. But we've let that kind of spill over into our faith life so that we think this is neither the time nor the place to be a witness for Jesus. Oh, well, you know, I'm at work. Work's just not the place or the time. You know, I just, my family, my family, I don't want to lose my family. Nobody wants to lose their family. Listen, what's better to lose your family on earth or lose your family for eternity, right? Oh, I don't want to offend anybody. Do you want them to go to heaven? I mean, look at, goal's not to offend. But do you love them or do you hate them? If you hate them, don't share the gospel with them. If you hate your neighbor, don't invite them to church. That's not loving them. That's hating them. And so with that location, oh, it's neither the time nor the place, but then audience, oh, you know, I, that, they're just, they're so far. I mean, they're an atheist, you know? They're not gonna believe. They, I've heard them talking about it. So that's, I don't wanna, and it goes back to the location, someone's circumstances. I don't wanna get into an argument because they're not gonna believe anyway, no way. So we subjectively determine who's actually going to, to listen to God and the gospel and, and embrace his grace. That's nowhere in the Bible. No, that's, that's Ananias. That's keeping back ourselves from full surrender. Peter leaned in and he didn't care where he was. He didn't care who his audience was. He was going to be a witness for Jesus. But then the third is expectation. We've talked a little bit about the expectations and how our expectations can either be defined by our circumstances or our circumstances can be defined by our expectations. And I wanna really challenge you to allow the faith in you to rise up so that your expectation of what God can do through you is greater than the circumstances you see around you. Because here's what I know, and I'm gonna admit something to you. I'm, I'm not a guy who's glass half empty for sure, but I'm not even a guy who's glass half full. I'm a guy who's generally three quarters full. I'm like overly positive. I mean, I, I probably make some of y'all sick, you know? 
because I just always try to look at the bright side, look at the good side, super encouraging, motivational. I just love being encouraging, that kind of thing. And so that, that's who I am. But when, when I, we went through a year like we went through last year, and, and I'm saying in a good way, I'm admitting, confessing something to you. Well, we grew by 29% average worship attendance, which if you don't know, that's crazy, that's crazy. We saw so many people baptized and saved. I actually told our staff in a staff meeting, um, and they could tell you this is 100% true. You know, we can't really expect this to be every year. Now, why would I do that? It's fear probably, that I, I didn't want them to feel let down or discouraged when it, when it doesn't continue to happen. But I wonder what, did Peter ever go to the disciples and be like, now I know all these people are getting healed guys, but it's not gonna last forever. I don't think so. So God's convicted me, the Holy Spirit's convicted me that, that I have, I have by, I think in fear and maybe in my own just reasonable way of looking at this world, I have subjectively determined that what God is doing right now is exceptional. Is that true? 100%, okay, I get. You'd be like, Wayne, it is exceptional. But here's what I want you to understand. It is extraordinary in many ways, but here's what happens. I believe the Lord's really been convicting me that that, that view is a view that allows the circumstances to define my expectations. Because my expectations of this is extraordinary and you guys need to understand, it's going to go back to being ordinary eventually. What is that? That's me looking through a lens of my circumstances, our circumstances. I don't know if you know it, but our culture's crazy, right? And so if we look through the lens of our circumstances and if we look around and read the paper or look at headlines online, we watch the news, we immediately start thinking, there's no way this will last forever. Just listen to some preachers. I mean, they'll tell you, even if you're reaching lost people, you're probably doing something wrong because lost people don't want Jesus. So what we've done is we've looked through our cultural circumstances and we've defined our expectation of what God's gonna do. To be honest, we've defined our expectation of what God wants to do. And I'm here to tell you that's wrong. It's wrong. It's backwards. We shouldn't allow the circumstances to define our expectations. We ought to expect that God is able and let's pray together that he's willing to make what is extraordinary, ordinary in upstate church. That's what we ought to be praying. That's what we ought to be believing is that this isn't just an exceptional season, but this is now going to be a move of God, a, a, a movement of God across the upstate of South Carolina that no man could start, no man could stop because it's a work of the Holy Spirit. What's gonna make it different if we'll stop being Ananias and start being like Peter? If we'll stop keeping back, if we'll stop leaning back, if we'll stop holding back and start leaning in, surrendering everything we are, who we are to God and the work that he wants to do in and through us. Look, 3,000 people, God just needs you. If one person in here, man, if I, let me just say me so it makes you feel better about yourself. If I would, I mean, genuinely, if I would genuinely give God everything I am, I'm talking about my life, and I didn't care what anybody else said. I'm telling you, God can use one man or woman 
who's completely surrendered to turn up a, a town for his glory. What would happen if 3,000 people, what would happen in the upstate of South Carolina? I don't believe any of us know. Look what God's done with a bunch of Ananiases. Y'all right? Look what God has done with us as we keep back. Oh, preacher, I'm giving. I'm not talking about giving. I'm not talking about giving money. I'm talking about giving yourself. I'm talking about me giving myself completely to him and the call of God to be the people God's called us to be in the upstate, in this moment for the glory of God and the work of his kingdom. That's who we are. That's not what we do. It's who we've got to be, not just on Sunday, but every single day of the week. Listen, circumstantial faith is present and prevalent when spiritual strength is not. Circumstantial faith is present and prevalent when spiritual strength is not. So let's look quickly. Trust God wherever you are. Here's the bad news I got for you. That's point number one, and I have four. So I'm going to give you the next three, and I'm just going to preach with all I've got until I'm done, all right? Here's the next three. I'm giving them to you. Get ready. Second thing that Peter would advise us on is, is to witness at every opportunity. Witness at every opportunity. Third, obey God no matter what. Obey God no matter what. And then fourth, rejoice whatever the outcome. Rejoice whatever the outcome. So witness at every opportunity. I want you to look with me at verse 26. Verse 26. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them in, not by force, but they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in the name of Jesus, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood on us. And so we see that the tone has changed. The people are now afraid of them. Notice the authorities are afraid of them. Had Peter allowed the circumstances to impact his expectation, he would be afraid. But because his expectation of what God was gonna do was not based on the circumstances, everything got turned, the tables are turned, and now the authorities are the ones who are afraid. Look at verse 29. Peter and the apostles answered the authorities, said, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. So what did he say? He said, we must obey God rather than men. And again, going back to this challenge, look, what would God do with a people who would answer like that? What would God do with, with a group of people who would just obey God rather than men? Who would not allow the circumstances to shame them into silence? Wouldn't allow the circumstances to, to stimulate some aggression in them, to, to cause them to be hateful in the name of Jesus. Both would be wrong. But what would happen if people said, I've got to, I can't help it. My faith and my expectation 
of God is too great for me to be afraid of your circumstances. So I, I can't obey you, I've got to obey God. He's the one who's driving my life. He's the one who gave his son to die for my sins. And so yeah, it's awkward to invite people. It's, it's really awkward to share my faith. It's, it's so weird. It's not the time and the place that's comfortable. But I'm not called to comfort. I'm not called to pleasure. I'm not, I'm not called to be happy. I'm not called to make everybody happy. I'm called to be faithful. I'm called to be a witness. It's not just called a Christian. It's not called a church membership. Somebody's not thought this was a first Baptist church. What in the world we done got into? But the fact of the matter is, I mean, we've, we've made church something entirely different than we find in the book of Acts. These men and women were sold out completely to God. They weren't holding back. They weren't keeping back. They were totally surrendered. The final thing is, well, the third thing, obey God no matter what, no matter the circumstance. Obey the Lord. Spiritual obedience requires premeditation and determination. So today, what would make us consistently obedient? What, what I believe Peter would advise us to do is, is be intentionally obedient. Don't wait too late. But prepare now. No matter what comes my way, I'm gonna be obedient. No matter what happens, no matter what my circumstances are, I'm gonna be faithful to do what God's called me to do. So we've gotta be intentional and deliberate and determined. But then finally, let's look at the fourth, fourth thing. Rejoice whatever the outcome. I believe Peter would tell us, he would advise us to rejoice no matter what happens. Because see, here's what happens. If, if circumstances, if, if what the consequences of our actions are in this world determine what we do, we're gonna respond naturally. And naturally, we're gonna be reluctant. I, I wish that I could say, I, it's not true of me. If I respond naturally, I'm gonna be reluctant. I'm gonna keep back. I'm gonna hold back. I'm not gonna give everything. I'm not gonna be 100% because it's natural for us to, to pull back when opposition comes. But here's the truth. When we view circumstances through a lens of faith, we begin to see earthly opposition as heavenly opportunity. And my question really today is simple. I mean, do you see your circumstances as opposition? Do you see the culture as opposition? I mean, we're in, we talk about the upstate all the time. Nine to 11 counties, 1.4 to 1.8 million people who are all gonna spend eternity somewhere. They're gonna spend eternity somewhere. And so the question is, are we gonna be people who are characteristically keeping back, holding back? Or will we be a people that go all in? I think in many ways, when we go all in like Peter and John did, when we're willing to give God not our rest, but our best, when we're willing not just to testify of God's greatness in Sunday school, in groups. See, it's a shame when we would say, well, Wayne, I'm a witness. I, I brag on Jesus all the time. But I wanna ask you a question. I mean, how many of those people you're bragging on Jesus around agree with you? All of them probably. Because we, 
We're selective in our praise. We're selective in our service. And we generally premeditate our surrender to God in front of people that agree with us. And so it's comfortable. It feels like the right time and place because it, it's not confrontational to us. But that's not obedience to God. And half obedience is complete disobedience. Verse 41 says, Then they left the presence of the council. Peter and John walked away, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor in his name. When's the last time you felt like you rejoiced because of negative circumstances that came because you're a Christian. I've just got to tell you, that's not most of us in here. Most of the time, our fear of what would happen keeps us from being obedient. Our fear of the response, our fear of not being popular our fear of rejection of our family and friends, our fear of being labeled as that guy in the neighborhood <laughs> keeps us from being obedient. So look, we've got to learn to redefine the win. Redefine the win. The win is not us getting our way. The win is not our walking through life unscathed. The win is not achieving optimal comfort and happiness. We must begin to define the win based on our willingness to re represent Jesus. How well did I represent Jesus on Saturday? How well did I represent Jesus on Monday? How much did I look like Jesus at my job on Tuesday? How did I respond when I got pushed back, my faith, when things got uncomfortable or awkward? What did I do when following Jesus became unpopular? Here's the truth, Ananias kept back money, but most, if not all of us, keep back ourselves. We're holding back. May it be said of us, as we leave this place today, that we hold nothing back from the work of God. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. I pray you'd speak to us. Lord, during this time of commitment, I, I pray that you would do the work God, I pray that you've taken a weak voice and spoken strength and power through it. We know your word doesn't need me, doesn't need us. But God, the challenge is strong for us to stop playing games, for us to stop holding back, for us to stop being reluctant, but for us to truly just dive straight into the work that you have for us. God, would you help us be the witnesses in the upstate of South Carolina if you called us to be? Pray in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me?